I was working about 70, 80 hours a week in New York. I would get up in the morning, do what I had to do, and then I would literally sprint for the bus, jump on the bus, and then I'd go out and I'd run my normal day through the city. And then I would sprint back to the bus. And I was like, babe, let's move back to Manhattan. Let's get a smaller apartment. And she was like, let's move into a bus. I'm like, what are you thinking, a bus? And she's like, yeah, let's do a bus. I kept looking at apartments and she'd be like, look, here's a bus, it's got 32 windows. And that apartment you're looking at is a ground level and it faces an alley. And that's basically what we're looking at. And we moved into the bus. We did the whole renovation in like two months. And I gave her six months. I was like, if we like it, great. If we don't, we'll go back into an apartment. And then uh, freaked out for like three months. I met Ryan at a park in Boulder, Colorado earlier this year. We were both being pro dads with two kids slung off of our shoulders and arms and bodies and were instantly attracted to each other. We started talking and he had asked me about my bus and he asked me some questions that made me think he knew what he was talking about. And he mentioned that he had just finished living on a school bus himself. So I asked what that was like and he told me that he lived in New York City in a school bus for over a year as a family of four. And it just absolutely blew my mind. Sophie and I travel full-time in our bus. It's not a school bus, but it's, you know, very well could be. And cities are stressful for us. And so I couldn't imagine what it was like living in one of the busiest cities in the world in a school bus. And I knew that I really wanted to interview Ryan before we left Boulder. And we carved out some time to do that. And I'm really excited about this episode. Ryan really benefited from bumping his schedule down to that reasonable 30, 40 hours a week because they were able to reduce their expenses so much. You know, I wouldn't say that living on a school bus inside the city was easy, but Ryan tells us what it's like to do that and, and the effort that he had to put in, what he had to do to manage their lifestyle to keep it rolling. But inside the bus, they befriended certain people inside of neighborhoods, firemen, police departments, other city workers that would leave pallets of wood out for them to burn. It's really an amazing story about how to make it work and how to make it work as a family. And I think that's you know why you're all tuning in here is trying to figure out how you can make it work as a family. But as Ryan so eloquently puts it, you know, once people realize that it is a family and inside this bus or whatever it is that you're doing, they're so much more willing to help because you're not just some guy living in a van outside of their apartment building. So enjoy the show. All right. So Ryan, why don't you tell us what day-to-day life is like here in Boulder? I mean, we're basically back to like normal society. So it's for myself personally, I wake up in the morning, hang out with the kids all day. Um, And then around three o'clock, me and my wife do the shift change. I go to work and she hangs out with the kids and puts them to bed. So she works morning shift. I work a night shift and just keep the hustle alive. And tell us about the kids who makes up your family. Um, So it's my wife and I, and then our two children. We got a older girl and a younger boy. So we've got a dog and a cat, kind of everything that you would think of. And you just moved to Boulder recently, correct? Right. Yeah, we um, we moved back at the beginning of this year. Um, we finished out at the end of January in New York City. We did a three and a half week road trip, basically, from New York. We had no heat in the bus. <laughs> so we went uh, New York to Orlando, and then we cut down the southern route up 10 to Dallas. So we spent like four days in Orlando, four days in Dallas, and then we came up 
south from there into Boulder. And I think it took from, yeah, about 25 days or something like that, 26 days in total. The bus only does 55, so. I hear you. We're on that scale as well. Yeah. (laughs) And so what prompted the move to Boulder? So we're from here originally. Um, My wife and I are both born and raised here. My family is getting older and the children are obviously getting older. And so Elodie starts school this fall. And so it was just best to come back because, I mean, I didn't want to put them through public schools in New York. I also didn't want to pay the private school tuition in New York. And we tried uh, New Jersey for like a year. And the year New Jersey led into the two years on the bus. So take me back to the year in New Jersey, which led to this <laughs> monumental life change. Like, All right. <laughs> give, me, give me a taste of what life was like back then. Okay. So life in New Jersey, we live about a 20 minute commute to New York. City. I took the bus every day. We had a beautiful two-bedroom apartment overlooking Manhattan. So we had a view of the skyline of Manhattan from our bedroom window, basically. And it was a very quiet, very peaceful area, but it was just expensive. And so I was working about 70, 80 hours a week in New York. I would get up in the morning, do what I had to do, and then I would literally sprint for the bus, jump on the bus, and then I'd go out and run my normal day through the city. And then I would sprint back to the bus, because if you miss the bus, you got a 30-minute wait, or you're just standing at the terminal. We did that for about nine months. I started looking for apartments that were a little bit cheaper. We were spending like 28 and change. I think total bills were, for the apartment alone, about 33 And I was like, babe, let's move back to Manhattan. Let's get a smaller apartment. I'd like to spend two grand, 22. And she was like, let's move into a bus. I'm like, you're crazy. Like, what are you thinking? A bus? And she's like, yeah, let's do a bus. And she started researching it. And I kept looking at apartments because I was a real estate agent. So I just, every single day I'd go show clients. I'd be like, this one's nice for me. And I'd take a couple of photos and she'd be like, look at this really cool bus. And so we had basically enough money to move. And my wife was like, let's do the bus thing. And I gave her six months. I was like, all right, look, let's do six months. If we like it, great. If we don't, we'll go back in an apartment during the better season. Because this was like March, which is typically not a good season to move in New York. And um, yeah, we, we bought a bus dirt cheap. We spent like... Oh, hold on. So before you'd go in there, did you have kids at this point? Yeah. Two kids. We had two kids and a dog and a cat. And your wife thought this was going to be a brilliant idea to move into a school bus. Rather than an apartment. I love it. So, okay, take me back. Into, so you found the bus. Here, here's her concept, right? $2,200 a month in New York City. You're looking like Harlem, Washington Heights. You're looking someplace that's got a good jog. Like out in Queens, you know, you're getting a good like like two bedroom apartment, 1800, 2000, you know, but you still got a 45 minute commute into the city or Manhattan, so to speak. I call that the city. But yeah, so she's like, look, here's a bus. It's got 32 windows. And that apartment you're looking at is a ground level and it faces an alley. And that's basically what we're looking at. So we spent 24 on the bus. We spent another five gutting it and getting it like ready, just bare minimum style. And we moved into the bus. We did the whole renovation in like two months and then uh, freaked out for like three months. <laughs> okay, so what were your renovation skills like? Because renovating a school bus is, you know, you, all of a sudden you need to become a, an engineer, a plumber, yeah, an electrician, yeah. a carpenter. Were you skilled in any so of those areas? my mother is an interior designer and my father is a general contractor. I grew up renovating stuff my entire life. One of my really good friends, my kid's godfather, is um, a mechanical engineer. And one of my wife's really good friends installs solar panels for a living. So the whole time we 
we'd just be like, hey, this is what we're thinking for our setup. We'd shoot an email this one and then we'd kind of like take everything and combine it together and build it out from there. But we went really like low end for the first like couple months, first year. We just did um, almost no electricity, battery packs for a lot of stuff. We never ran propane. My wife didn't like the idea of propane. So we actually used butane canisters. But it was interesting because like you spend so much time focusing on how to make this work and how to get it going that you almost lose sight of the bigger picture. When we first moved in, we used a little hot pot stove. Buy them at like any of the Korean stores out there. You can also find like the camping ones here. We were spending $3.25 for a can of butane. And then it was lasting for a while, you know, because like we weren't cooking all that much. I was still learning how to like rework and recook into a kitchen that's only three by five. <laughs> And so once we figured that out, by the end of it, we were paying $1.25 for the same can that we were paying $3.25 for. Everything that we had used, we literally found a way to cut the cost down to about 30 to 40% of when we first moved into the bus. How so? Um, we got a good generator, ran a battery bank, so that killed a lot of our electricity issues. We figured out how to plug into different areas throughout the city. Hold on, because I travel full time in a bus, and I don't know how to plug into different areas in the city. You don't have to spill really, your beans. But... Really long extension cords, <laughs> and there are a couple people that like you'll find they'll actually wire um, street lights. You can pop the plugs on them, and up underneath there's usually a plug. Everyone can plug in. Um, and one of the biggest cool things I found was you can order a key for your water system off Amazon for $20. I was reading this other guy's blog and he was like, I hack into the fire hydrants. And I'm like, no way. So I spent like a month researching this. I talked to four uh, fire department chiefs. Like I talked to everyone. And then I started, I got a key off Amazon for like 20 bucks and it's basically an adapter. It fits onto the fire hydrant and a garden hose. And you would go and you crack a fire hydrant, you let it run for about two minutes and get all the rust and anything that was in the pipe out and then you'd hook up your hose and just fill up that is insane the drinking water line in new york runs to all the fire hydrants so even the chiefs were like yeah i mean i never thought about that but it's all drinking water that's insane <laughs> it was outstanding though so this is just kind of part of bus life van life whatever you call it but you have to learn these hacks to make your life easier because you're a father of two kids you're moving a bus around the city and it's just not easy so the more hacks you have to make your life easier to make it possible to continue on is basically how it works is that yeah well i mean think about it every time you move your vehicle you have a 30 minute breakdown and a 20 minute put back up you got to move everything and make sure it's not going to fall because you've been living parked in one spot for two, three weeks, and now it's time to move. It's not just like a quick jaunt over here, a quick jaunt over there. So, you know, you do what you got to do and you learn the little hacks. And it, it really like a lot of it came in after that first year, after that first year of like kind of going through the motions and kind of struggling and figuring it out. That second year was smooth sailing. So... I mean, a year is a long time to be living in a bus in yeah. New York City. I mean, we literally have just spent a month between Denver and Boulder, and Boulder is by no means New York City, but right. <laughs> I'm feeling the pressures of urban camping and desiring greener pastures. I can't imagine a year in New York. It's I mean, easier in New York City than it is in Boulder. We had our bus parked out here for two weeks. I got two tickets and three warnings. I had my bus parked in New York City for two years. Yeah, I never got a ticket. 
So, and I even, I didn't even have a plate on that thing for like the first four months because I didn't know what I was doing. I got like my temp tag and then I had to figure out how to like get it registered because it wasn't no longer a bus and you didn't want a commercial vehicle because you can't have those parked. And so we didn't even have a tag on it for like four months in Queens. And then finally we were like, uh, all right, we got to go. <laughs> so, it, so it took a year for you to settle into bus life. So to speak, yeah. We did a good six months. And then after those first six months, you started learning like different places to get fuel and or like um, cooking fuel. Because like I said, we didn't go propane. Uh, my wife was very nervous about setting up propane lines and having to check them. And we had kids, man. We didn't want to do that. So we, we went very simplistic. You know, two years in a tiny kitchen kind of kind of wears and tears. Yeah. And tell me some more about your kitchen. You mentioned before we got started your refrigerator setup. Oh yeah. <laughs> so for the first year we did this one burner. Um, we had all of our cookware and everything like that. And then we did like a dish tub for our sink with a setup so we could just kind of like pump water out. And then we did um, an ice chest because we weren't exactly sure how we wanted to go about it. When you look at 12 volt fridges, they're really expensive. And for that first like year almost, I still was like at any day ready to move back into an apartment. So we went with two batteries, very simplistic, charge status, everything like that. I think the whole setup cost $1,200 to power one fridge and like a couple cell phones and stuff like that. Like lights are easy, all that stuff you realized. When we bought everything originally, we realized we we're spending $1,500 to keep our fridge on. And we we're like, why? So what we started doing is parking next to grocery stores. So like you could actually walk to the grocery store. It was two to 400 feet from our bus to the grocery store for two years. Cause that's what we learned. We would park next to the grocery store. We learned how to shop for what we wanted for that day and not pile the cabinets full. We never bought in bulk unless it was like something that we knew we could keep either in the heat or the cold and not have to worry about it. You know, you learn that you, if you buy ice cream, you're going to eat that ice cream that day. Maybe like within in 20 minutes. It never made it home. <laughs> it never made it home. We would just buy like the little ones and it was an easy way to cool down for the afternoon. Um, yeah, we did that. We bought a lot of ice and went through it. And then when we did hook up the fridge, it was like, <gasps> we have a fridge. Um, a friend of ours does the van life and he's been in the van for, I think, three years now, almost three and a half. Never uses his fridge. He has one hooked up. It's never turned on. So like every once in a while, he'd be like, oh, just throw your milk in here because we'd go down to his house for a couple of days. He'd have to turn on the fridge, let it cool down, and then we'd put our stuff in it. Well, he's probably a single guy oh, living yeah. in a van. So yep. a little bit different than a family of four yep. trying to you know feed everybody on, a, on the cheap. You can't be going out to meals every night. I mean, when you're not paying rent, it makes it a little bit easier, but... Yeah, it's easy for us to cook. And once we got into the bus and really got comfortable with it, I learned how to make an entire meal in two pots. Um, I started cooking a lot of Chinese and a lot of Indian cuisine because they were just easy. You don't need to do like cook noodles in this pot and this in this pot and you're not making a sauce over here. You're throwing everything in one pot, letting it simmer for like an afternoon. And then in the summertime, because it gets really hot on a bus, we started eating lots of bruschetta and lots of just like simple cold foods that you could eat that you didn't have to heat up the bus for. Um, summers in New York are brutal. Yeah, so. absolutely. So 
Give me an idea of what what kind of changes you felt maybe between you and Nikki or yourself. I know you said you mentioned earlier you were ready to move out of the bus at any moment, but at what point for you guys did you feel any change maybe but for yourself or between your re- relationship that like this was something that you wanted to keep going? I mean, the whole bus thing was kind of her idea in the get-go, and then after being in it for so long, I started kind of liking it, and she refused. She was like, I like the bus. It was also... I went from working, you know, 80 hours, 70 hours a week to only working like 30, 25 some weeks. What prompted that change? We had no rent. I had no longer had these exorbitant utilities and expenses that I had to do. And then when you think about it, like, okay, I I was a real estate agent. My day consisted of usually getting up, working on the computer for a little bit, going into the office, doing emails, then going out and showing all day, doing paperwork, coming back. And I would do that throughout the day. Um, When we were in an apartment, I would come home, cook dinner, do the whole like nighttime routine, put the kids down, and then I'd get in bed with my wife and she'd fall asleep and I'd work for another three, four hours. I'd post my ads and get all my like advertising and stuff done between 11 o'clock and 2 a.m. When we moved into the bus, I no longer had all these expenses. Um, when we were living in New Jersey, before we got on the bus, my monthly expenses reached 6800 to survive. And that was like, you know, your bills, everything that includes like food for the kids, clothes that you have to put on, um, stuff you have to buy for the apartment, dog food. You know, everything just kind of starts adding up and then you have all your transportation costs adding up on top of that. So when we moved in the bus, we immediately cut out 3,400 between rent and our utilities there. Um, Then we cut out another 600 over the course of the next two months with as far as like train passes and having to come in from New Jersey and these big commutes. And then we were able to kind of whittle down our food budget a little bit and then it went back up because what we learned is like you don't have to spend two three grand a month on rent you also don't have this huge kitchen that you're like hey look we're broke we just paid rent let's cook for the next week so we would have a little fridge and we'd be like hey what do you want tonight oh you want this great and we'd go out and we'd get that or what do you want for breakfast and then it also made like a trip up to delhi a little bit easier because then you could go out and spend 20 bucks on breakfast and you weren't really stressing it you know i I almost forgot when the first of the month was because i never had rent due anymore i didn't have my bills were due like when my generator ran out of gas and we needed electricity i'd walk to the gas station so rather than spending a three $400 bill at the end of the month, I was spending 10 to $15 a day leading up to it. So you, you can focus a little bit more on what's going out and what you're putting into it. So Yeah, I, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with a fellow that made me reconsider, you know, this whole van life movement kind of feels like, you know, the settlers moving across the country, the pioneers, yeah. you know, the, with mm-hmm. the Conestoga wagon. And then, you know, that's how I kind of considered it. And then he turned me on to like, well, it's more like a hunter-gatherer type of living where you have to go out and gather your water, your food, your energy. And, you know, you just, just saying that reminds me again that like, even though it's like a modern type of nomadic living Mm -hmm. where you source your supplies and even just parking next to a resource like a grocery store or an outlet where you know you can get electricity for free. (laughs) It's like, you know, if you want to live this type of movement, you'll find yourself being much more in tune with what real human needs are and how you actually get those needs met. Yeah. One of the things during that second year, we put a wood-burning fireplace into the bus. My wife found this like gorgeous fireplace from 1855. She drove up into like the backwoods of New Jersey to get. Like I came home from work day and she's like, look what I got. And then we spent a week putting the stove in because then you got to gut the area, put it in, do the mantle, concrete, get everything set up. 
that winter you start realizing and kind of like learning that it's going to cost me 20 to 30 dollars a day in the winter to heat my bus i can go up to home depot and i can purchase wood and i can spend 30 dollars a day now that's if you're making 30 dollars an hour that's an hour worth of work to do you know it's not bad but do you really want to spend your money on that so then what i started doing is finding places where i could source free firewood i would cut it up and then stack my bus for free so rather than going to work for an hour i'd go out and i'd find wood i'd cut it up and i'd stack our bus for an hour and then we're saving money and i'm kind of gathering so to speak like you said i estimated it out at one point i was spending 15 hours a week gathering supplies and food um, emptying toilets going up and getting firewood getting our water emptying our trash out i was spending 15 hours a week doing it because we would have to do that. That includes like a 30 minute walk to get gas because it was 10 to 15 minutes there and then 10 to 15 minutes back. You know, and for a while I carry the gas can. You don't think about it, but then when you're carrying six gallons, five gallons of gas for a quarter, half a mile, you get tired and then you buy little carts and you find ways to make it easier. But that was it. Like rather than just copping a four or $500 utility bill, you would get $15 in gas or you'd realize like, do I really need to turn on the generator for these items here where I could just like go figure something else out? I could go sit at the coffee shop, use the AC. I could go up to the diner and get some food and plug in over there. Um, and once people learned who we were and that we were in the bus, the community really kind of started helping out with us. And we had people in the neighborhood that would help us and let us fill up over there, let us plug into their business for a couple hours and recharge our batteries. Um, it kind of worked out. We lived in one part in Queens right next to a big construction site. And these guys were awesome. I used to actually go down and dive in their dumpster and pull out all their firewood. And one day they caught me and their response was, dude, go around the back. There's two dumpsters full of this stuff. Take what you need. And so we started loading up. And then, because we were there our last winter, they started showing up with forklifts full of wood. They'd show up with like a five foot stack of wood, five feet tall by four feet by four feet. It'd take us two weeks to go through it. I'd go out there for like half an hour a day and I'd cut up enough wood for the day and go stack the bus full. And then we'd do about our business and we'd just burn wood all day. Everybody knew who we were. They all knew we had a fireplace. Like we only had the fire department called on us twice. <laughs> And even they were super cool about it. They were just a little confused. So do you think that the community took to you more because you were doing this as a family? Yes, I, I think it's, you know, when they first originally catch you and they first originally see you out there living in the bus, they think, what the hell is going on? There's a family living in the bus. And then they would kind of finally catch us outside or kind of start talking to us. And they'd realize that, you know, there's a, all of us. But then it's, you know, they don't see us in there showering and bathing because we have our shower in the back. We're not going over there being like, hey, can we use your bathroom? And we're not making a mess of the community. When we would move the bus, I'd go out, I'd sweep up around us, I'd clean up all of our dirt. And then we'd pile up and we'd leave for however long we were going. Um, we stayed in Brooklyn for a while and we would move for street sweeping. So every three days we'd pack up the bus, we'd leave for two, three hours and we come back. People were baffled because they're like, this thing never moves. But we'd move every three, four days for like five hours and then come back and park and do what we had to do. Or, you know, we'd go to a different part of the city or get out of the city for a week or two. And because of my job, I just sit in a campground with internet and just do, 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 do. 
Right. And I feel like I want to go back to that a little bit. What was the change like for you going from working 80 hours a week to now something totally manageable, 30 to 40, plus you've got your 15 or so hours hunter gathering for all your (laughs) supplies? I mean, how did that make you feel as a human being? I mean, it changes everything because you go from pushing paper, so to speak, and like paperwork and typing lots of emails and things like that to going out and physically getting your stuff. It obviously changes like your brain because you get different chemicals pumping in. And when you're going out, you're, you're grabbing wood and you're coming home. You feel a little bit better about your work. You know, don't mind me. I would go out and I'd take clients out. And I'd get them an apartment. I felt great about it. I'd get a fat paycheck and I feel good about that. But going out and not having to worry about anything or like there was a blackout one time in Queens. And we were like, see you later. And we just packed up all of our stuff and left. There was another blackout one time. We just turned on the generator. Like we're the only people with electricity in the whole neighborhood. And it's like, it kind of gives you a nice sense of satisfaction, not in the, I went out and I'm successful and I'm making money, but like I'm successful. My house is good. My family is taken care of. It kind of touches more into that raw part of you, especially the raw part of you is being a parent, you know, and having people rely on you. And not just for financial help and financial guidance. Like if I didn't go out and get wood for the day, my kids would have to, or my wife would have to go out or they'd be cold. You know, they'd be sitting around with a little propane heater, which sucked. So I would try to grab wood. And if I was sick, my wife would be like, I got it. And she'd go out and she'd get the wood for the day or get the water, whatever needed to happen. But you know, in a house, you can kind of have a sick day, but they're like, you have a sick day. You're not going to have water for three days, or you're not going to have cold air, or you're going to run out of electricity for tonight. And then what happens in the morning when your inverter's beeping because your batteries are dead, you're going to get up at 4am and go get gas anyways. So like, There's been times where get up in the morning, go get gas, refill the generator, and I'd walk right back to the gas station. I'd get another five gallons and I'd just stick it under the bus for when they died. That way I didn't have to go back out another time in the day. And so do you think that helped you feel more alive? It helps you feel more in tuned. Like, yeah, you obviously feel more alive, um, gives you more fun and more satisfaction out of your day, but it also really helps you to feel more in tune with what you're naturally supposed to be doing. I watched a really interesting article with Joe Rogan, and what he says is, you know, the reason that we're having so many issues and there's so many people that are depressed is because we're computer driven now. We go to the office, we type in, we write emails, we call people. We're not going out and doing stuff anymore. We're not hunting for food. We're not gathering our supplies. We're not spending eight hours a day out walking around and doing shit. We're literally typing buttons. And if you get hungry, you call or, you know, you type in an order to seamless. Like in New York, it was easy. I could order two different items. You know, my wife and I wanted this. Kids wanted that. Cool. We'd literally order from two different restaurants. They'd show up at the same time. We'd all eat our meal together. You can't do that, you know? And like you get the satisfaction, but at the same point, you're like, how much satisfaction do I get? I get this, I get more satisfaction out of spending three hours making like a really nice dish or like a nice soup. Um, that was one of the things that I missed about moving into the bus beforehand. You know, I'd make my own pasta, try making my own bread, all these big extravagant recipes. I love to cook. I love to eat more. So I had these recipes I'd work on. And then once we moved into the bus, it was like, can't make my own bread anymore. Can't really heat up the bus in the summer. So I'd like lose satisfaction cooking for two, three months. Um, But then you learn in the wintertime, like, hey, I can throw a pot of stew on the stove or I can cook like some really good, you know, anything and throw it on the stove and let it just simmer around for the day. So I'd make any type of soups and stews and you heat up the bus that way and put a little bit of moisture back in the air. So it gets your brain thinking in a different way. A friend of ours was over the other night. They made pizza 
take out the pizza, they don't turn off the stove. So my wife tells me like two hours later, they realize the stove's on, the house is super hot, and now they're trying to cool it back down. In the bus, literally, you were turning off the burner before it was even cooked, because you're like, I'm dying in here. I'm literally sweating, and there's nothing I can do about this, except for either turn this off now and hope it cools down, or go out to eat, you know, so. It changes your mind. You, you think differently. And now being back in an apartment, I think about every gallon of water I use when I shower. I think about all the times I get to go to the bathroom and just flush the toilet and not have to worry about like, all right, great, where are we going to dump that? Or like, when's the compost about to be up? Or all those concerns that I had wrapped myself into for two years are no longer existent and I'm kind of just bored. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question. So what are you, about three months into living in an apartment? Four. Four months. Yeah. So uh, we're actually in Ryan's apartment here in Boulder beautiful summer sunny day and when we first met you were telling me how much you appreciated a few things of being in a house again after being in a bus for two years so I mean can you talk me a little bit through that transition back and what's been you know what surprised you or what didn't and then maybe how you feel now um so we've been back in the apartment about four months when we first moved back we were still in the bus for about six weeks and we parked in front of my little brother's house, like right on the street. And we literally ran extension cords up into his front and just plugged in. Um, It was nice. And you kind of start learning the transition. You kind of start working on like, I don't have to go fill up water jugs, you know, every three days. I don't have to go empty my toilet or I don't have to worry about how hot the bus is going to get or how to cool it down. You know, is my AC going to work through the night? It's kind of nice because like, you know, we open the windows and let the breeze come in. Um, That's really nice. Even now, still, I think I just finally went away like two weeks ago. I'd be taking a shower and I'd expect the shower to rock. Because that's one of the things you never think about is like, dude, when you're taking a shower in the city or wherever you are and a car drives by, your bus rocks and everything rocks along with it. So the apartment doesn't rock. But it took all of us like two months to figure that out. The apartment's not going to (laughs) rock. Um, but yeah, my kids are still like learning cause you know, the toilets were different in the bus. So then they're learning that you got to use the toilet differently in an apartment. You know, they're still making jokes about, cause we used wipes, wipes for everything. Wipes were like our lifesaver. We were going through like three quarters to half a pack a day, you know, like clean everything with them. You learn that like, that's easier than getting a sponge wet or having to use your sink or anything like that. Just grab a baby wipe. So now my kids will still be like, wipe, I need a wipe. And it's like, just use the toilet paper. Here's paper towels and you know so they're adjusting it's been a harder adjustment on them than us my son was six months old when we moved into the bus so he's actually lived in the bus longer than he's lived in an apartment i still make jokes with my daughter i'll be like you want to move back into the bus and go back over here and she's like no I like my apartment. I like my room. Cause you know, we had bunk beds built into there. Um, we had their small like beds. Now they have twin size mattresses and they have a bigger room and a, a shit ton of toys everywhere. And they really enjoy that. That's been one of the transitions for us too. You know, living in the bus, you have limited space. And so you learn to live a limited lifestyle, so to speak. And now you have the space. So we kind of actually moved into the apartment and then overfilled and then had to reduce. And so now we're like getting back to the balance of like, we have enough, you know, because like you don't have that much space out in the bus. And it's, it's hard when you're living in 240 square feet with four people. Absolutely. Any other changes you've seen in your kids' 
in this transition? I mean, they're little munchkins, but do you feel like they're more appreciative or aware of water usage or? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) My daughter will take showers and she's like, I like it when it kind of burns my skin a little bit. And she'll stand there and just soak it in, you know, whereas like in the bus, like I got it down to like a gallon and a half of water. I would quick shower in the bus and I'd be on, you know? So like I think about water usage. Sure. Um, I worked with this girl in New York and we'd always make this joke because when she'd stand close to me, she'd go, it's okay. I showered today. I smell good. And during the summer months, I'd be like, it's okay. I showered too. And then in the winter months, I'd be like, it's cool. I showered my legs. And then the, like, the next day, I'd be like, it's cool. I showered my upper half. And one day she's like, do you not shower your whole body? And I was like, it's zero degrees outside. Like I come home and it's negative one. You shower, that shit hits your floor. It's going to freeze. Yeah. You can't just like quick shower and like, you know, warm up with the shower. Because then it's like, you got to light a fire, put the pot on, heat it all up. We didn't go for the water heater route. A friend of ours did that. They lived in the van. But then his shower was outside. So you'd get outside and you'd shower literally with a shower curtain around you out in the elements like and then you have to wrap up real quick and run and jump in the bus next to the fireplace. And so my wife and I realize it and we realize how easy it is to, you know, stock the fridge and the freezer now and throw stuff in the dishwasher when we're done with it. Um, But yeah, it's it's taken some adjusting. So. What's your feeling about it now? You're ma- you're doing the sort of house adjustments, and then what about work and lifestyle? And do you guys talk about a future bus life in the future, or what's coming next? We kind of talk about it a little bit. It's kind of just a joke between us now because we really miss not having a rent payment. We really miss not having like the stress that kind of comes along with having an apartment when you've lived in a bus on the road kind of just be doing what you want, you know? And on the East Coast, it's easy. Like, you know what it's like. You can just shoot up to Maine. It takes a couple hours. You want to go out to New Jersey, you can kind of go out into the wilderness and go up to Massachusetts. A friend of ours has a place there, so we'd go up there and hang out for a couple days. And, you know, we'd do whatever we could to get out. We'd go down to Staten Island. A friend of ours lived, like, right on the beach. And now it's, you're here. And if you leave, you're still paying for your apartment. But then you're also trying to like, you know, either cop your gas expenses for the bus or you're renting a place and doing an Airbnb. So it kind of takes away that like freedom to travel a little bit. Um, I saw more of the East Coast in the bus than I did before I moved into the bus because there was always something and I'd be so busy working that on my day off, I'd want to just hang out and like not do anything or just go get some food and then go back and hang out. So it's taken some adjusting to get back into it, but it's nice. We're still in the first couple months and we also just moved to Colorado. So we're adjusting to that as well. She wanted to go back. This is the first time she's been back to work since we had the kids. So she's been going and enjoying her job and, you know, really going out and being able to work and enjoy being away from the kids for a little bit. And so we'll see, you know, the transition, we're going to go back to me working a little bit more full time because I've always been a workaholic. The bus just kind of helped kill that. But the great thing about that is you can still be the workaholic, but you have more time to spend at home with your kids. The greatest thing I've ever heard when I had children, one of my old clients, she said, you can have three or four careers and you can go back to school however many times as you want, but you have one chance to raise your children. And I kind of took that to heart. When she said that to me, we had just moved into the bus and I was like, man, that is like so accurate. And you know, before we moved in the bus, 
I'd have one day off a week. We'd hang out in New Jersey by the pool and I would be on my phone answering emails or conducting lease signings or, you know, applications or something. So I still wasn't even taking a day off. I was still just working the entire time. So moving into the bus and not having rent and being able to realize that like my time's better spent at home taking the kids out, you kind of do that. And so it, it kind of adds that little extra benefit to your life of like, I can spend time with my kids and I can enjoy them personally and not have to focus on working so hard and making so much money and income. So when we moved into the bus originally, I got rid of a lot of my stuff. You know, have you ever heard of the 333 challenge? 33 items for three months. No, but I want to try it. Okay, so I, at the peak of it, I started doing that and working in, you know, an office. You're around people all the time and we're always dressed up in slacks and nice shirts and ties. I eventually got down to 28 items and not a single person knew. By the end of the first year, people were like, there's a rumor going around, you live in a bus? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, I never knew this. Like, how did I never knew? It's, Dude, I've had 28 items in my closet and that includes my pants, my shoes, my shirts, my ties. And you've never figured it out. Like I come in and charge three battery packs up or like I was making a joke with one agent one day, like, hey, do you know where I could park a school bus in this place? And she kept being like, stop asking me these weird questions. <laughs> and then a friend of hers on a team was like, no, he lives in a freaking school bus. And you know, we stayed in Astoria, Sunnyside, um, Long Island City. We stayed in Williamsburg, Bushwick, Manhattan a few times. Um, we've stayed all over the place and people would be like, you're the guy in the bus? To the point where I actually met a few people and they'd be like, oh yeah, I live in the neighborhood. Dude, have you seen that bus is parked over there? And they'd start talking all this like funny stuff. I'd be like, yeah, dude, that's me. <laughs> Stop by next time. Like, I'd be like, you know where I live? And they, that's you? Cause you can't, you don't know when someone lives in a bus. You don't know if they're wearing the same, you know, blue shirt. Like even now I have six dress shirts in my closet. Five of them are blue. You can never tell if I was wearing anything different or anything else. And so I've had to start rebuilding my closet back up, but I still keep it to a minimum. Cause now I'm like, man, if I only had six shirts again, would I want this to be one of my six? If I only had four pairs of pants I could own, would I want this to be one of my pairs of pants? And so it's kind of helped curb that consumer so to speak, that you develop because it's like you got a big closet and I've always had the bigger of the closets in the house. And so it's like you just fill it full of shit. 38 shirts and 22 pairs of pants and slacks and, you know, 15 pairs of shoes or, you know, we've all been there. Where you go in your closet and you pull out that pair of shoes. They're like, man, I haven't worn these in like three years or I bought them and I've worn them twice or like, I love that shirt, but it's itchy and it doesn't quite feel right. And, you know, we just don't like it and we keep it around just because it's there and because you have this space and because you're not worried about it. Or because it costs you whatever, 50 bucks and you yeah. can't let it go because you're like, well, it's worth 50 bucks. And I could wear it this one time when we moved back a good friend of mine gave me a couple of his suits and i had all my suits and all my clothes i threw away 90 percent of my clothes and i've estimated it out to be close to 15 grand worth of clothes that i've thrown away and it's like i found a pair of shoes i've never even worn i think i wore them one time and that was it and now i'm like a lot more conscious of like what I'm buying, how I'm gonna buy it. You know, the kids are obviously easy. I go to ARC, I spend like a dollar per item, $2 per item, which is really nice. But for myself, I either find like a semi-reduced item or I find something that I love and something that I wanna wear every single day. And then I add that to my repertoire because just because I have the space doesn't mean I need to fill it. 
And that's, I think, one of the hard things about going into an apartment is you go from having a lot of shit, you move into the bus and you have nothing, and then you go back into an apartment and you're like, man, I need a lot of stuff again. Like my wife and I, we kept a five by five storage unit the two years we were in the bus. And when we finally went back to empty it out, we threw away half of it. Cause we're like, why do we even need this? Why did we even keep this? But we thought one day we might need it again. And so when we moved back to here, we slowly have been like adding and filling stuff and buying cool stuff where we need it. But when we got back, I made a list of everything we would need, you know, couch, table, this, chairs, bed, bed frame, uh, dressers, dresser here. I was amazed at how big the list was and how much stuff actually went into it. Um, this is a decent apartment and like I think 1,200, 1,300 square feet. My little brother has like a 2,500 square foot house and the amount of shit that goes in that thing is absurd. And so that's one of the, been the hard things I find adjusting back into it is realizing how much stuff you have to buy just to hold this like image. And not even image, like, I mean, look at all this stuff in this room. This is just to feel comfortable, just to have company over and be able to all sit down. But you're looking at six chairs, a couch, an ottoman, a table, three tables, and a big-ass TV. Like, we did the TV in the bus one time. I bought, like, a 32-inch, found it for, like, 100 bucks. Thing cracked after, like, four days. <laughs> I was sick. I was laying in bed with it up on the wall, and a car drove by, and it rocked the bus, and the TV went down. I mean, it was my fault. I should have, like, hung it, but... I'm like, well, there goes the TV. Yeah, you live and learn. I'm known for breaking most things in the yeah. bus um, <laughs> through either just not paying attention or not installing it correctly. Yeah. My wife goes through everything and like, we'd be like, let's buy this for the bus. And she'd walk over and grab it and shake it real hard. And people would be like, what the hell are you doing? She'd be like, imagine when you drive, this is what you're going to hear. Yeah. And people would be like, I never even thought about that. You know? And then you, you're like bunging stuff in and building in bookcases. And um, I knew a guy, he had his dresser put in with shims. And finally, after two years, he was like, I put a latch on that just twisted. He's like, it literally took me five minutes. I just didn't even think about it. And that was one of the things I realized is like, you're in there, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're tired, you're driving all this, your brain doesn't compute into some of the things. And then like one day you'll wake up and be like, oh, genius. And it's like literally like putting a switch over here and it makes your life 10 times easier. Absolutely. So that's what I loved about the bus being so raw is we didn't put up walls. We didn't do anything like special or spectacular. Like we built in bunk beds for the kids. We built in a kitchen and put in cabinets. Uh, we built a bunk bed for us, had the dog and storage up underneath. And then we eventually put like a garage in the back, encased it. And then we put a, had an AC unit in the back window, which we encased in. Um, but yeah, a lot of this stuff, like I remember building one of the walls and it was so difficult. I, it got built on a slant cause we were up in Connecticut at a friend's house where I left a battery and never was able to use my drill again. Um, but yeah, everything was crooked. And then one day I like woke up, we were staying up at a campsite and I realized like, dude, everything's crooked. You didn't even put it together right. And then within an hour, I pulled everything down and put it back up correctly. But it was just like being in Connecticut, I was so stressed out, I couldn't even think right. And then when I got back and I rebuilt it, it looked beautiful and it was so easy and so like simplistic to put in. Um, now we're in the apartment, I don't gotta worry about any of that. I just gotta make sure this cabinet's not gonna fall over on the kid or, you know, make sure that they something's latched. Like I just had to put a latch on the front door so they don't leave. That's like my biggest worry, you know, whereas like they were pretty good in the bus. They popped the door every once in a while, but not that bad. 
But people would come up and you'd hear the big scary dog that was 40 pounds and people would run away like freaking out about the dog in the bus. Whereas, you know, we're in an apartment now. There's people that break in around here. But dude, being in Queens and being in Brooklyn and being in a bus, I was never really too worried. Some reason we just always felt like secure and comfortable. My wife says it's because she put an invisibility cloak on it, like a joke Harry Potter. And like we literally never got tickets. We never got tickets. We never got messed with. Um, we got spray painted one time. Awesome. And I don't know if you documented your stories at all online. If people oh, yeah. wanted to check it out, do you have Instagram or? Um, I'd have to go back through. My wife kept track of all that and she's kind of moved things around and done a bunch of stuff. So um, I'll get some for you and I'll text it over to you. Okay. Yeah. We'll make sure we publish some of these photos so you can get a good glimpse of, of the bus. And... I've got lots of good ones for you, like painting days and the graffitis and some of our like amazing parking spots. So if I got I'll just put something together just for you and you, you, whoever's listening. All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. And um, yeah, this is our urban family season. So tune in next week for our next guest. Thank you very much. I still can't believe that they lived in a school bus in New York for over a year. It, it totally boggles my mind. And I'm so happy that we had the chance to interview Ryan and hear more of his story. Next week, we will be dropping Lachlan and Tara's story. They're out of Sydney, Australia, and they talk about what it's like trying to, you know, hustle in one of the biggest cities in the world and taking on a big mortgage and how they are happily trapped in their life today. Please head on over to Rewilding Parenthood on Instagram so you can check out Ryan and, and what his bus looked like and what their day-to-day was like more visually, not just the audio story. So please head on over there and we'll share any handles that they have so you can head on over and dig into a little bit more of their story if you want to see some more about that. If you have any questions, please hit us up over there. The links are both in the show notes and on Instagram, you can see these in the highlight reel under podcast. Rewilding Parenthood was produced by Afuera Vida, sound and editing by Mercedes Riva, and music by Tomas Tyrell. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review, share with a friend, share on any social media. We love getting the story out there and really appreciate your support. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to have you back next week for our next episode.